0: said to me, Torin, what would you like for your birthday? I said, let me preach about abstinence at church. <laughs> That's So thank you for this gift. Um, I wanted to come in singing uh, DC Talk song, I Don't Want It. If you're like, I have no idea what that is, Google it, thank me later, all right? But instead, uh, I'm going to start off by telling you a little bit about uh, a Swedish scientist by the name of Alfred Nobel. Back in 1857, Alfred Nobel, uh, a world-renowned chemist, actually created his first invention using nitroglycerin, all right? It would eventually become what we call today dynamite. Now, It was way more powerful than black powder at the time, but it was incredibly unstable, super hard to control. Uh, Just the slightest shock could actually allow nitroglycerin to explode. And so uh, Nobel was trying to figure out a way to make it usable. All right, there's all kinds of ways that uh, having an explosion, uh, an explosive device that that was uh, easier to carry around than black powder, more powerful than black powder, could have so many benefits uh, for society. However, when something is that dangerous, he had to figure out how do I try to control this power? So uh, I think around 1864, he created the blasting cap, which allowed for semi-controllable explosions. But nitroglycerin was still not easy to handle, still uh, was very volatile. In fact, uh, in that same year, 1864, while working on some more experiments, his brother and a number of men at the factory were killed uh, by an accidental explosion. Uh, Nobel did not give up, though. Nobel continued to work with it. But it wasn't until 1886, almost nine, a little over nine years later, that he actually found a substance that you could mix with nitroglycerin to actually cause it to be a little bit more stable and portable. Uh, It was something called diatomaceous earth, all right, which is basically fossilized seaweed. Uh, We actually use the stuff at home to, like, get rid of ants uh, around our house, all right? But he used it to mix with nitroglycerin, and then he wrapped it in a wrapper, put a blasting cap on it, and that is what we get dynamite. Uh, The word actually comes from a Greek word, dynamis, which means power. Dynamite literally just means power. Now, uh, some things in life need to be handled with care, right? Some things in life ought to be handled with care. You don't just run around playing football with a stick of dynamite. The thing will blow up. All right. You handle dynamite with care. There's other things in our lives that we need to have the same kind of respect for. We're going to look at one of those things today. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open up to the Song of Songs, chapter 8, verse 4. We're only going to be looking at a couple of verses this morning. But in Song of Songs, chapter 8, verse 4, we actually have the third time that this phrase gets repeated in the Song of Songs. The first time is actually in chapter two, right kind of where we left off last week. Then it gets repeated again in chapter three, the second time that we hear this warning about not awakening love until it's time. And then we get the warning again here in chapter eight, verse four. Let's read it together. Song of Songs, chapter eight, verse four. This is the woman talking at this point, and she says, daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires or until it's time. Don't wake up love too early. That's, that's the, the warning that she's giving. And it's the third time that this warning has been repeated. The question is why, right? I mean, like that, at least that's the question I'd be asking. Like, well, why, why should I not wake it up until it's ready? Uh, It's here in chapter 8 that we finally get a strong argument that helps us understand why. It's actually because love is so powerful. If we were to jump down just a little bit further to verse 6, we're going to read verses 6 and 7, where the female continues to explain why this warning matters. She says this Place me like a seal over your heart. She's speaking to her lover, her husband. Like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death. It's jealousy, unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers can't sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. She's describing to us the power that love has. She starts off by saying, Place me like a seal over your arm, over your heart, like a seal. Or excuse me, plates make a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. A seal is actually what uh, um, kings would often have and wear. It was uh, uh, sometimes hung around their neck, so it would kind of rest around their heart. Sometimes it was a ring that they would wear. Uh, these things were usually made of very expensive materials, uh, sometimes even inlaid with jewels. And you would seal something to show that uh, it was your uh, a possession or something that you were trying to protect. Okay. And so she's not saying to her lover, her husband, like, like, I want to be one of your possessions. What she's saying is I want the kind of security that comes as when you put a seal on something. I want you to treat me like that. Something that's so valuable that you're willing to seal me close to your heart like you do close to your arm. What she's saying is that love is so powerful. I need security in the midst of this. And then she goes on to explain a little bit more the power that love actually holds. She says, for love is as strong as death. Love is as strong as death. Have you ever seen somebody come back from the grave? (laughs) Nope. Right? Because once it has you, it has you. And that's what she's saying love is like. When, When love kind of begins to spring forth, like it's hard to like hold that back. That's why this warning is so important, because love is powerful. It doesn't mean that love is uncontrollable. It simply means that in hyperbole, in this poetry that she is writing to her lover, she's expressing like, look, I need this security because this is like huge, massive. Like It feels like something that is as strong as death. Once death grabs you, like it's not going to let go. And the same thing is true of love. She continues on. She says it's jealousy is as unyielding as the grave. She goes on to say, uh, it burns like a blazing fire. You remember the wildfires that were in California uh, last year, actually a number of years lately? Um, these wildfires like, are, have been overwhelming, especially the last couple of years, where uh, firefighters are doing everything they can, but literally sometimes they just have to let it burn out. They, did, like, they try and they try, they cut fire lines. It's impossible, though, to hold it back when it gets that hot. Uh, she goes on. She says, many waters cannot quench love. I think there was a picture of an airplane uh, up there a second ago. That's actually called a super scooper. That's one of the airplanes that fire departments actually have. And uh, that thing can go down and scoop up. I think it's like 18, 1,600 gallons of water, something like that. It's like three or four hot tubs, okay? There's another plane that they have that actually holds 24,000 gallons of water. And even when you see those planes fly over with like two <laughs> swimming pools worth of water and they dump it on the fire, it, it makes a difference. But uh, very often, especially in the really big fires that are going on, like it doesn't really do anything at all. It kind of slows it down a little bit, but it actually doesn't put it out. She's like, that's what love is like. Love is this beautiful, powerful thing that happens. And, and the word that's getting used here for love is the word ahava. Um. There's a few different words that the Old Testament uses for love. You've got eros, which Austin talked about. It's the the erotic love, the sexual love. You've got, uh, um, I think it's dote love, uh, which is like the kind of love that you have with a a friend or like a brother or sister. And a hava love, this is kind of like a, a love that... In this particular scenario, she's using as kind of an overarching love. It kind of uh, implies all of the things, like sexual, sacrificial, covenantal. It's like mind, body, soul love. It's like the whole gamut, all of it wrapped up into one. And she's like, look, when that thing starts, like it's hard to stop. This is why it's important to not awaken love before it's time. Because it's intended to do something. And it's powerful. In fact, she goes on, she says, many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. Have you ever seen a, a river at flood stage? Especially when it finally breaks through a levee? Uh, I remember I think it was last year over in the Detroit area. Um, we got lots and lots of rain. Um, things were at flood stage and there was a dam. Uh, they had taken a river and they had dammed it up and it had become a lake and people had been living on this lake for decades and decades and decades but The ground got saturated near the dam because of the flooding, and the dam gave way. And then that river, lake, just rushed through. I mean, it destroyed. You literally, you would watch homes get ripped right off their foundations, just carried like home homes. Trees, huge oak trees, roots deep. It just pulled the earth and the trees and just (laughs) washed them away. She said, "That's what love is like." Now, obviously, she's using hyperbole here, right? As she writes this, this is poetry. She's she's over-speaking about the power, but what she's saying is like, look, you need to understand something, lover. (laughs) I need the security because love is so powerful. And she says, daughters of Jerusalem, you need to understand something. Love is so powerful that you don't want to awaken it. You shouldn't awaken it until you're ready, until it's time. She says, if one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. Utterly scorned, right? Love can't be bought. You can't buy love. The Beatles knew that. Can't buy me love, love. J-Lo uh, Lo knew it too. <laughs> love don't cost a thing, baby. Huey Lewis understood that's the power of love. Come on, guys, I worked on that. It was three awesome references. And you didn't even like, you got to work with me. Thank you, okay, thank you, that's good. So the question comes, what are we to do with beautiful, priceless, powerful, important things? What are we supposed to do with beautiful, powerful, important, priceless things? We take care of them. That's what we do with beautiful, powerful, priceless, important things. So what I want to do today is uh, give you two applications this morning, all right? That's our time in the text. Now I want to give us two applications, all right? So uh, the first one is simply this. You cannot disrespect love. You can't disrespect love. So abstinence outside of marriage is important because of what sex does, okay? It's kind of two sides of what we're gonna talk about in uh, our first one is, uh, first application is gonna kind of deal with this uh, thing called abstinence, all right? Now, I don't like the word abstinence, to be honest. I get it, I understand, but it feels really negative, right? I'd rather find like a positive word towards it, Uh, but I wanna explain why this matters. The first thing that I wanna do is talk about what sex does uh, to the human body, okay? Then what I want to explain is why God created sex, because sex is actually for something. Way too often, you go to church and all you hear is like, "Don't do it and that and be like scary and stay away and like ah like someday it'll be great." But no, no, stay. And like I'm like, no, no, that's not what the Scripture actually teaches. Like it is for something, and it is beautiful, and it is God's design and God's blessing. God didn't have to make sex like feel good. It could have just been something you do to have kids, all right? Like exchanging a buck for a lollipop, right? Like here's a here's a dollar. I get a lot. Like here's a you know my elbow. Now I get a kid. I don't like. He didn't have to do it, but he did. Why? Because he loves us, and because he's awesome, and because that's the kind of God that we know and serve and begin to understand as we engage in His Word. So when we talk about Abstinence, it's important to understand uh, why God calls us to it outside of marriage, why we're supposed to be absent outside of marriage. And the reason is because of what sex does, okay? So I, I found this out this past week. Uh, there's over 30 different parts of the brain that actually are uh, working simultaneously during sexual activity. Uh, the amygdala uh, is working. That's our memory and emotions. That's where kind of memory and emotions actually uh, um, kind of come from the hypothalamus, which is subconscious body control, anterior cingulate cortex. I have no idea if I'm saying that right, but that's something that actually helps us with empathy. Uh, You also have uh, the nucleus accumbens. (laughs) No idea if I'm saying that right either, but that's where we get feelings of euphoria. Almost 30 different active parts of the brain are involved during sexual activity, all right? Oxytocin, Dopamine, testosterone for guys, uh, those are released chemicals that our brain releases. Oxytocin causes the sense of trust and emotional bonding. Dopamine locks in images in many men. All of this is happening because uh, God created sex for a purpose. There's actually a reason that God created it. It's not just some biological evolutionary thing. It's because God designed it to do something. He designed it to create oneness. God designed sex to create oneness. Oneness, what it's supposed to do is uh, help us recognize sex as an emotional, mental, spiritual, physical, euphoric glue that's intended to bind two people for life. Uh, whenever the Bible talks about sexual immorality, okay, it's referring to sex outside of marriage— uh, I was a youth pastor for a long time. Uh, um, I love working uh, with folks of all different ages, and I've heard uh, folks uh, try to give me the argument that, well, the Bible doesn't actually talk about premarital sex. The Bible, if it doesn't condemn it, then how can you tell me that it's actually not not right, or not good, or not okay, or that God doesn't want it for us? Uh, And I always have to say, like, look, anytime that sexual immorality is brought up, and it's brought up a lot in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's always referring to any sex that's outside of marriage, okay? So uh, it's kind of like me saying, don't sit in any chair except that chair. And then somebody says, yeah, but he didn't mention green chairs specifically, it's like well, yeah, but he did say like that chair and only that chair, and that would mean that anything else. So when the Bible talks about sexual morality, it's talking about sex outside of the confines of marriage. Okay, so it's important to know, and I want to say this very, very clearly: abstinence is for everyone. Way too often we think, oh no, abstinence is just like if you're not married, abstinence. No, abstinence is for everybody, married and unmarried. And let me explain what I mean by that. Okay, there's almost 8 billion people in the world. I have to be sexually abstinent with 7.99999999 of all of those people. Every single other person other than my wife, I have to be abstinent with, all right? So the truth is abstinence is for everybody. It means that I just can't willy-nilly say, like, I'm going to do whatever I want to do willy-nilly, probably not the right phrase to use. (laughs) At any rate, (laughs) things that happen that you don't intend. I actually prayed this morning. I said, Lord, please don't let me step in any landmines and please don't let me plant any. Well, that was just a plant, so my bad. (laughs) Abstinence is for everybody. It's something that every single person has to learn how to exercise that muscle. And it's not simply because God's trying to be a killjoy. No, it's, it's actually the exact opposite. God designed sex for a purpose. And the purpose is to actually create a oneness, a bond with the person that you're intended to spend the rest of your life with. And so sex is for something. So when you hear people talk about like, oh, stay away, don't do it. No, 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 sex is amazing. It's awesome. It's not something that we should be like poo-pooing or d- saying that we're not gonna talk about. The Bible talks about it. I mean, this whole entire thing is like an erotic love poem. A number of them like kind of pull together, Right? It's God's design, it's God's desire, it's God's gift. It's a wonderful thing, but it's for a purpose. And when we understand that, it helps us to understand and experience the fulfillment of everything that God designs and desires you to have, to experience. Now, I also want to say this about it, all right? Because I feel like there's a lot of talk about this. Like, is it really even possible? Like, come on, man, everybody does it. Like, let me just say it is possible, okay? Uh, Brenda and I, I've told you this before, we were both virgins on our wedding night. Now, I'm not saying it was easy. I'm not saying there weren't times where, like, I definitely didn't want to hold on to my virginity, all right? It was hard. But what I am telling you is that it's possible. And so if you're hearing a whole lot of folks say, like, yeah, well, you know, like, it's not a big deal. Or, man, it's just way too hard. Like, nobody can really expect. Like, I'm just saying it is possible. And I know a lot of other folks that have said, you know what, we made the commitment and so we went after that. Now, I wanna finish though, before we move into the second piece, by saying this. A lot of times whenever we talk about this, if you've ever made a mistake, okay, uh, we feel shame. And we feel like, oh man, I didn't like that. I didn't feel like I hated church this morning because of just how I felt. Look, I, you need to know something, okay? There is grace and forgiveness and forgiveness available to anybody that wants it. And God redeems and restores, and you are not less than, and it doesn't mean that you're like going to have a terrible sex life one day when you get married or that like God's going to judge you or that you're never, like, please hear that so clearly. There is grace. Friends, I am not a perfect man. I need God's grace just because I happen to be a virgin on my wedding night doesn't mean that I've been perfect in in my uh, sexual activity uh, throughout my life. Just because I've been faithful to bread, it doesn't mean that there's still not areas of sexual brokenness in my own life. Like there's stuff that we all have to, I should probably be careful what I say. See, I told you about landmines. We're all broken people when it comes to our sexuality. And you just need to know that there's forgiveness and grace. I want you to hear that so strongly. I want you to know that deep down. I want you to pursue God's best, not because God's a killjoy, but because God actually wants the best for you. And when I've obeyed God, when I've pursued him in the way that he desires me, God's met me there. I'm not saying everything gets perfect, everything gets easy, but I'm telling you, God does something unbelievable, something you can't even begin to acknowledge. So there is forgiveness and healing, my friends. Uh, I grew up in like the 90s, which was like purity culture around Christian church, like huge, okay? Okay. And, and way too often within that kind of purity culture, uh, they kind of led us to think that like our virginity was like the only thing that mattered in our relationship with God. And that's not true. I'm not saying God doesn't care about that, he does, right? Purity still matters, but that's not, that's not the, the litmus test of whether or not you're a Christian or not. It, it's not the difference uh, maker solely. So we need to kind of recapture God's heart for purity, but also the grace that God has in so many different areas of our lives. I remember uh, we used to talk about like, oh, um, when you have sex, it's like you're a a flower. And every time it's like pulling off and there would be a guy on stage holding a flower and just pulling off all the petals. And eventually you're left and it's just nothing but like this, you know, ugly, dead looking flower. And and you're like, don't be like the flower. And you're like, ah, I don't want to be like it's. Look, you know what God does? God creates new blooms. And they can be just as beautiful. Now, in an ideal world, the original one God gives us, we hold on to, right? Because love is powerful and love is priceless. Love is worth protecting. But if we've made a mistake, it doesn't mean that you're prone to a life of, you know, a stem, all right? God redeems and restores, so hear that. Secondly, the second application is don't wake up love too early, all right? Uh, I grew up in Chicago until I was in fourth grade. That's when we moved to Flint. Uh, When I was in Chicago, we lived in Oak Lawn, which is the south side of Chicago. And in Oak Lawn, there's this little uh, ice cream hot dog place called Primo's. And Primo's had like the most amazing Chicago dogs. I think I got a picture of that. Look at that. Oh, I've been thinking about this and it's been making me hungry for like the last two or three days. Uh, Chicago hot dog, uh, the steamed poppy seed bun, okay? Uh, the Chicago dog has to have a little bit of crisp, a little crunch to it, uh, all natural. You get that pickle spear, the hot peppers, some that relish, the mustard. Uh, especially what I love is the celery salt, all right? I love a good Chicago dog. Uh, And not only just because I think they're delicious, but because there's a nostalgia. I remember after baseball games and I played Little League, my dad would then take us to Primo's and we'd get a hot dog and fries. And so like for me, like it's not just the taste, it's everything that's associated with it. When I was in uh, college, uh, Brenda and I started kind of dating. It was her freshman year, my junior year, okay? Uh, We went on a couple of dates, and uh, really it was over that next summer, between her sophomore year and my senior year, that we uh, really got to know each other. Now, this was back before the internet, all right? This is back before everybody had cell phones. Uh, We actually hand wrote letters. That's what we had to do, because calling long distance was too expensive, all right? So we used to write letters like two, sometimes three, even four times a week that we would be sending back and forth to each other. We actually still have those letters. We kept them, got them in a box on our... uh, um, Anniversary, we'll often pull some letters out and just read them to each other and laugh and reminisce. And it is wonderful. Uh, I know over that summer, that's when this power of love broke out in my heart. I knew I wanted to marry Brenda and nobody else. Like everything in my life was moving towards this woman and this moment. And so I came back to school, and uh, I was like, I got to lock this down, all right? Like, that was, that was my thinking. Like, I was like, so, now, we came back early. Uh, I was an RA, so I was back early. And Brenda uh, was a sports training, athletic training major at the time, and so she was working with the soccer team. I got super jealous. I had played soccer the last two years, but I decided not to play my senior year so I could focus on school and being an RA. And uh, so she's working with the, all these all my buddies, all the soccer players, right? And uh, you know they're always like, "Oh, I got a cramp, Brenda, uh, help me!" I'm like, knock it off. <laughs> You're fine. Get up. Um, so I remember being like feeling kind of a little insecure and jealous. Like we hadn't, we hadn't really fully had the DTR yet to define the relationship. But so I was like, like smothering her. I wanted to like, hey, we let's where are you sitting? I'll come sit with you. Like, where are you going? I'll walk you. You know, it was like everything. And so uh, about four days in, um, Brenda sat me down in the morning and she dumped me. Yeah, I know. Thank you. This is my, if there's ever a day I should get some sympathy, it's today, okay? So she dumps me. Now, now that's not the worst of it. Some of you have heard this story before. She actually dumped me using a phrase off the back of a Fruit Loop box. No joke. Variety is the spice of life. She read it that morning, and then she dropped it. She's like, well, you know, Variety is the spice of life, so I just think we should maybe see other people. I'm like, what? Ah! I didn't find out till later. It was because she read it on the back of a fruit loose box. So, 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 so awful. Um, it rocked me. I mean, I was like, love had broken forth, man. I couldn't pull it back. It was like powerful, like death. Like I, and I was, I was devastated. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. About two days had gone by. Um. The freshman had just come onto campus early for orientation, and as part of that, they brought in a Chicago hot dog stand. And I was finally like, you know what? This is something I can like maybe take my mind off. It's that nostalgia, right? It's the delicious. And so I remember uh, I went to the hot dog stand, and, and uh, I hadn't barely been eating anything, but I was like, yeah, give me, a hot, give me a dog. And so I got it all doctored up, got all the things on it that I wanted, and I took a bite And oh my goodness, it was just like amazing and delicious. And I'm chewing that bite right outside the gym doors. And as I'm chewing that first bite of that delicious hot dog that I love so much, guess who walks out the doors? Brenda. And I can barely swallow what's in my mouth at that point. My stomach starts turning. I feel sick to my stomach. I actually have to throw away of the rest of that Chicago dog. Brenda almost ruined Chicago hot dogs for me. Like that's how serious and powerful love actually is. That's why it's so important that we don't awaken it until it's time. This is the thrice repeated warning that the female gives to the daughters of Jerusalem. Now it's not just to the daughters of Jerusalem, it's to anybody. The point is love is powerful. And so we need to take care of it, and we don't want to open it up, wake it up too soon. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to give you a couple of Torren's thoughts for dating. All right. Now these are mine. This is not the Bible. All right. This is not like TLC. Does not you know put its stamp of approval. These are Torrens. Okay. But I'm going to give them to you because I think they're decent. And I've been around the game for a while, all right? I get to do weddings all the time. I love it. One of my favorite things to do. I was a youth pastor for years. I saw love in all of its awful and glorious forms happening. And so here are some of my thoughts. Number one, this one is for younger singles. You ready? Younger singles date a lot. That's what you should do. You should date a lot. You just shouldn't be in a committed relationship until your sophomore or junior year of college. Boom, how about that? Now, I all the time, parents be like, well, my son, he's got, he's got a girlfriend and I just don't. You know what I say? Date a lot. You should go on lots of dates. You just shouldn't date the same person over and over. You know, I'm very pro-date. I'm very anti-relationship when you're in high school in the beginning of college. Some of you right now maybe hate me. You're like, ah. How dare he say that? I'm in love and it's real. It may be, possibly, okay? Jordan and Dana, high school sweethearts. They ruin my illustration every time that I have to talk about this, all right? But here's what I know as a guy who was in a two year relationship when I was in high school I know that I wasn't ready at the time. And most folks don't think, you know what? Uh, I plan to get married uh, around the time that I turn 17, somewhere between my junior and senior year of high school. Nobody thinks that, right? You're not ready to get married at that point, even if you'd like to be married. Uh, most folks, even after their freshman year of college, or sophomore, I thought I was going to get married after my sophomore year of college to the girl that I was dating. That's kind of my whole plan. God was like, yeah, no, not a good idea. I got something way better for you. I'm glad that I listened. That's for younger singles, for all singles. You need to decide what your non-negotiables are and then stick to them. What are your non-negotiables? Now I'm not talking about like, oh, they've got to be blonde. No, I'm not talking about like that stuff, okay? All right? Uh, make sure your non-negotiables are things that will matter for all of your life. What are your non-negotiables? Talk to God. Talk to your parents. Sit down write them out. Write them out. These are my non-negotiables. These are the things that have to be there. And if they're not, then I don't even move forward. Second thing, create your playing field together when you get into a relationship. Create your playing field together, all right? I initially had create boundaries, okay? And I was like, I don't like that. Again, that's the negative. I was like, no, create your playing field, all right? What game are we playing, all right? What are all the things that we can do and what's out of bounds, If you'll sit down together and you'll create your playing field, this is the game that we're playing, all right? We're just friends. That's all it is. That's all it's ever going to be. And so this is what friends do. Or uh, we're actually really considering if we want to be together to be married for the rest of our lives, all right? Different game, friends. Then you have to say, okay, if that's the game that we're playing, what are all the things that we can do on the field? All kinds of different things you can do. Write them out. Talk about them. That's positive. It gives you ideas, gives you date ideas, talks about the things you enjoy doing together, and then talk about well, what are the boundaries, what's out of bounds. Then you can write down what's out of bounds. We won't do this, we won't do that, we won't do this. You write that stuff down together, way easier to stay in bounds on a Friday night, okay, at midnight when you're almost at curfew and things is getting hot and heavy in the back of the accord, Okay. Now, maybe that's one of your out-of-bounds. Parents are like, that's definitely out-of-bounds. That's (laughs) out-of-bounds. Okay? What are, what's the field you're playing on? What are the things that you can play in that and what's out-of-bounds? Talk about all that ahead of time. And then, this is is one, I've I've been working through this one a little bit, but I think I like it. Only go on a second date, and this is for somebody uh, single, whether you've been married before, uh, whether you've never been married, only go on a second date with someone who loves Jesus more than you do. That's a hard one, but man, I'm telling you, that will save you so much heartache. You should always be looking for somebody who loves Jesus more than you do. I'm glad this wasn't Brenda's. (laughs) Brenda loved Jesus. No, we both loved Jesus a lot. And I get it, like I don't wanna turn into like where it's like all of a sudden some legalistic thing or, but when you actually say to yourself, look, the person I'm gonna go after is somebody who loves Jesus as much or more than I do, like you wind up with a partner on the playing field rather than an opponent. And we all want a partner, a teammate on the playing field. They help us know when we're getting close to getting out of bounds. They help us know what are the appropriate things, what are the fun things, what are the great things that we can do in the game. Find somebody who loves Jesus as much or more than you do. And if they don't, don't go on a second date with them. Um, I think I love kind of like this Ducati. Y'all know I like my motorcycles. This, friends, is a Ducati Panigale V4 Superleggera. It's the most extreme, streetable motorcycle the world has ever seen. 234 horsepower, 350 pounds, does almost 200 miles an hour. If you just turned 16 and got your license, please don't make that the first thing you ever ride, okay? Why? Well, because that thing's insane. You don't take care of that, you don't know what you're doing, you will wreck that yourself and maybe somebody else. But if you'll take time and not awaken love, until it's ready, you can get on that beast and be thrilled and exhilarated, scared out of your mind at times, laughing through your helmet. Can't believe you actually get to do this thing. And yeah, there will be times when you got to take the bike into the garage and change the oil and bleed the bleed the brakes. There's going to be times when uh, the road's going to take you on a left that you did not see comings, but. If you wait to awaken love until the proper time, till you're ready, man, it is an absolute riot. Totally exhilarating, amazing. Why? Because that's how God designed it. That's what he wants for you. That's what he still wants for me. I'm still learning how to ride that beast. I'm still learning how to enjoy everything that love has to offer and how I love and treat and care for my wife. And friends, that's what I desire for you too. I used to tell my uh, high school kids when I was their youth pastor, if you could give me the ability to make all of your choices for the next four years, 20 years from now, you'd come back to me and you would praise me. You would give me anything I wanted. You would tell me I'm the greatest thing ever, right? But I can't do that. Truth is, if I could offer that to somebody else, and they could make every decision for me that they knew was right, that kind of got out of my own head, I'd probably be super grateful for them as well. None of us can do that, though. At the end of the day, we have to say to one another, hey, are we going to go after this together? Trusting that what God says is actually true and right and good. And when we say, yes, I do believe, and I have a partner, a teammate that's going to help me do that, help me go after that, Oh my goodness, friends, the ride is absolutely exhilarating. Father God, thank you for love. Thank you for love in its many varied forms. God, in all the different ways that it's talked about, especially within the marriage covenant, God, it's amazing. Thank you for sex. God, thank you for such a gift. You didn't have to do that, but you did. And it just shows the kind of God you are, good, fun, exciting. That's who you are. God, we also know that you gave us sex because it was intended to bind us, bond us to the person that we're with the rest of our lives. So God, let us trust that this love, that it's powerful and priceless and worth protecting, caring for, and not, not awakening it until we're ready. God, we pray that you would help us do that. And God, more than that, when we fall short, and so often we do, God, we ask for your forgiveness and recognition that you are a God of grace and mercy. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for his death and resurrection that we get to apply to our lives. It's in your name, Jesus. We pray all these things. Amen.